0: There's a lot of planning tooling out there for the finance side you know your forecast p l your balance sheet your budget you know and all of these things they're very very useless for the revenue operators um a budget if you will it gives you a headcount plan and gives you your targets but it doesn't tell you anything in between and if something changes if you know evan leaves and joe doesn't join quickly enough You can't go to the budget and change that and have the board approval you know to 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 execute that change so it's pretty useless actually Uh, and the other side to the coin is when you're operating on the revenue side you're you're not you're not faced with a couple of lines of financial changes you you you're faced with you know hundreds of thousands of rows of of data coming in right across your whole funnel defining your whole revenue engine i'm talking impressions traffic leads opportunities close one customers how they upsell and so forth
1: Welcome to the Distributed Truth Podcast. Today's B2B SaaS teams all share one thing in common, fragmented customer data. Marketing sales, customer success, finance, and product teams need better approaches to unified customer data. What does it look like to be data-driven rather than data-inhibited? What is the link between investing in unified customer data and revenue growth? How can we create consistent customer experiences through unified customer data? Join us here at the Distributed Truth podcast as we interview a wide array of go-to-market revenue operations, technology, and data leaders, all dedicated to solving the problem of fragmented customer data. Welcome to the Distributed Truth. It's your host, Evan Dunn, growth at Sinkery. I'm here with Tony Holbein from Copenhagen, a beautiful city, amazing food, some of the best food I've ever had, Tony. Um, He's a 2 times exited SaaS CRO, previous RevOps leader. He's now building data-driven revenue planning and execution for revenue operators, but we'll get to that in a bit. Tony, welcome.
0: Thanks, Evan, for having me. It's a pleasure.
1: Um, really excited to chat today. I think there's a lot uh, you've seen in the industry um, that uh, will add value to our listeners in terms of RevOps and chief revenue officer roles and how they view systems and data issues. But Right now, Tony, everyone's talking about how RevOps is the number one growing job title. Um, why do you think that's happening? Why, yeah. What's the big deal with RevOps?
0: So I think I think there's some natural evolution going on. So this RevOps topic now has been brewing for five, six, seven years or something like that. And I think now it's kind of maybe getting to the point where you could call, you know, reaching a tipping point, so to speak. I think the other side of that coin is, though, that... Um, Everyone now, for the last six, seven, eight, nine months, has been talking about efficiencies, efficiencies, and efficiencies, and you know, be you know, instead of tripling, doubling, but doing it in a in a cash efficient way, that's the better way to do it. And I think then you just go, you know, to a degree, you go down the list of all the titles that have efficiencies written all over them, and see there revenue ops, uh, you know, pops up pops up on top of that. And I think that's what we're seeing. I think what I'm super worried about is. <clears throat> Um, I think a bunch of RevOps folks will get hired. Um, I'm worried about those RevOps folks actually being able to deliver those efficiencies, um, because, you know, and maybe going to get into this a little bit later on. I think a lot of RevOps has been, um, has been tooling focused, has been, you know, CRM validation rule focus has been let's create that report and send it off to the VP of sales and never looks at it focused. And, and those are, those are not efficiency driving activities. So I think there's a little bit of work that will need to happen in the industry where, uh, where RevOps not only has efficiency in their job title and in their, you know, pledge and in their mission statement, but is actually able to deliver that.
1: Yeah. Worried is a good word for that. I think there's a lot of conversations about how RevOps is often glorified sales ops. Would you mm-hmm. agree that that's a pretty common, um,
0: problem? I, I, think, I think it's a very common problem, but it has to do with RevOps, I feel, uh, having been birthed out of sales ops, right? So my story is always the VP of sales wanted to you know buy uh, Salesforce uh, or wanted to integrate uh, HubSpot with Outreach or whatever and realizing, oops, okay, I can't do that. I need someone else to do that. Uh, and, then, and see there, now you have sales ops, right? Doing some CRM stuff. Now that you have a CRM, please do a report, now that you do the report, please do the commission calculation, boom, you have full on sales ops there, right? Then the next step of the story is that the VP marketing looks at that and is like, hey, I want to have someone like that as well. And the same happens with the CS. And suddenly you have those, you know, ops silos and everyone to be data driven. I'm sure we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a second. Um, but suddenly everyone creates their own little truth of data there and, um, And then, you know, that's what I call, you know, operations being weaponized against one another and against different silos. Like, hey, my dashboard says that, your dashboard says that, Uh, surely mine is right, yours wrong. And then conversation is basically killed and and over at that point. And then the next evolution point is someone looking at this mess and being like, hey, guys, that's that's just not going to work. We can't have those different ops silos. We need to combine them. And that's when you have true revenue operations, right? Um, and I think, uh, we know when someone is throwing around the glorified sales ops term, which I don't disagree with sometimes is basically when the sales ops guy or lady, um, still reporting to the VP sales, um, gets a new title uh you know it's that's that's then suddenly revenue operations and i think that's a problem actually kind of if you if your job spec doesn't change with your title then that's an issue Um i feel you have this in other areas as well right so you have your your demand gen marketer that for the last i don't know three four five six years or so was very much okay how much money are you spending on uh on, on leads or something like that and now it's the no-no, it's the top end of the funnel. We need to create the problem and then they're going to come. So I think it's you have this kind of evolution going on in all different areas and then RevOps is not different than, uh, than some others.
1: I have no idea what you're talking about, Tony, with that demand gen marketer thing. I've never, <laughs> never experienced that firsthand. Yeah. I'm curious, that was sarcasm for those who can't read my voice. Um, Tony, I'm curious if you feel that uh title change without job spec change applies to the cro as well
0: yeah from I think, a VP so, of sales. funny funny question um i think it's i think it's true also um again right and the the so when i was zero twice um i basically managed all marketing sales cs and revenue operations globally so i was a you know quotation marks kind of a true zero in that sense i think you know, then we could start a conversation should the VP marketing roll to the CRO and isn't that a disaster and stuff let's let's discuss that. Um, I think the 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 opposite is worse though, when uh, the VP of sales becomes CRO, basically saying, ah, the CSO title isn't as sexy. I want to have the R instead. Um, and then really is either only doing sales, right? So this is uh, fairly common um, or is uh, if if he or she has more remit than just sales, is basically optimizing the other teams to fit sales, right? And what I sometimes mean with that, and this is you know kind of a sad story almost, they're basically kind of choking off marketing to a degree where only docu ready leads come through uh, to make it super easy for for the AEs. Um, but then on the other side, uh, even if there's a non-fit slash hardly fit customer still allow them into the customer base, right? Kind of optimizing for that AE team. I think that's really, that's really terrible if you have someone like that, um, uh, really, really understanding all of those different areas, um, and understanding how to optimize each of them while also knowing that you're not going to be an expert in all of them. I think that's, I think that's, um, that's the, the better way to go about it. And my, my perspective obviously is that revenue operations leaders are the best CROs, uh, you know, Maybe I'm biased here simply because they're not coming from one specific team, simply because they're very data-driven, they're very logic-driven, and simply because they rather want to work with the different experts instead of optimizing for one team or the other.
1: Well, you heard it here, folks. Folks, we have a um, a new term for our SaaS audience, DRLs, DocuSign Ready Leads. I think we should uh, <laughs> standardize that industry-wide. No, this is interesting, right? If RevOps... Uh, is the ideal CRO. I might also submit, it Maybe be because um, something else you mentioned that's inherent to RevOps but often overlooked, which is this idea of integration, of multi yeah. multiple systems that support multiple teams. Um, even within sales itself, you now don't just have CRM as a center of gravity. You also have outreach or sales loft or a sales engagement tool. That creates a lot of problems. The sync isn't perfect. The data is not always accurate. Um, you have to manage both places. Some enrichment and intent vendors also in there piping directly into the sales engagement tool rather than the CRM and the RevOps person is tasked with determining what's the best way to go, but does but does that RevOps person consider it core to their um mandate to oversee the data across functionally even though they end up doing it?
0: I, I, I think I think they do um mm-hmm. so when when i build revops teams i usually also build a data slash bi team within revops that's not the standard setup I, I i i admit um but generally speaking so we had this conversation and this reaches bad i don't know eight eight nine years or something like that we had this conversation of um basically needing to build a web of integrations right you have your crm uh and, and the logical next step is you need to integrate that with, you know, your Marketo, or your HubSpot. And you know, maybe there's some you know integrations that kind of work out nicely and that's cool, but then you add uh maybe your um product users on top of that, right? Uh that that's that gets complicated. Then as you mentioned, sales of outreach on top, uh Clearbit, uh, you know, Mad Kudu, all of these guys around you suddenly on top, and you basically need to kind of now figure out the logic. Um, how are you going to make that web work out? Um, and I think that comes, that comes with quite some unique challenges that a lot of smart people on your team gonna break their heads about, uh, for, for a long time before they fix it. Right. And, and then the, the other issue with that is actually, let's just say you get to dreamland of having fixed it all. Um, what's going to happen when your CRO is going to come around or VP sales, or someone comes around the corner and is like, Hey, I would like to buy that new tool here, right? Basically. <laughs> Basically, it's like no, don't touch it. Um, and the and the the other situation is, um, hey, we want to just you know change this little thing here in the MQL definition. That shouldn't be an issue, right? And then you're thinking like, oh, wait a minute. They're like uh, approximately one and a half million different you know things I need to now think about and reconsider and, and rebuild. And then I think that's, I think that's a major headache for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Break their heads about it. I think is an apt term. Um, in those roles, did you ever conceive of something, whether on paper or at least you know conceptually, that you might call like a data model, right? A um, a, a map of entities like contacts, accounts, opportunities, and how they relate to the different systems.
0: So sorry, Kenny, what's what's the question specifically? Sorry.
1: So you you read these, led these RevOps teams, and you had to um, lay out the architecture, if you will, for yeah. these multiple systems, right? Yeah. Did that include mapping how different types of of uh, data, you know, contacts, accounts lived within those systems and were termed and languaged within those systems?
0: Yeah. So we um so we had a we had a couple of instances where that was um very much predominant and you know I'm not the super detailed CRM data guy anymore and I, I would argue I've never been actually. But basically where some of that stuff uh, found its way to me into the surface is for example, when we did um, acquisitions, right? And mm-hmm. suddenly you need to integrate a completely different data stack and you don't want to lose anything because all of those uh, customers that you're acquiring there is like that's what the whole deal is built on actually. Um, so we use something and I think, I think that's what we call it, like a, we call it a data Bible. Basically a very big Excel spreadsheet uh, you know, showing all the different connections. That's what this means in this CRM. This is what that means in that CRM. Um, and we had the same thing also for our standards of, hey, this is how a contact, you know, syncs with the Marketo contact. This is how the account works with, I don't know what. Um, so we, so this is um, a lot of arbitration that needs to happen in a brain uh, to figure out, you know, first of all, to kind of give those, those insights across. But then also, let's just say you have all of that figured out, then the next question is like, okay, what overrules what? Is the, is the, uh, the, the ping from Marketo overruling what the uh, sales guy just put in there? And, and you're like, well, that's true if it's a negotiation. It's not true if it's in, you know, somewhere else. And I mean, you, you kind of go down that path and it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's painful for sure, Evan, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're speaking Sinkery's love language, right? What happens when you do need different logic for different things, um, mm. and Synchery, uh gives you the ability to customize that logic. There's also timing, right? Some APIs from these tools are firing every 15 minutes, sometimes mm. every hour. Maybe you upgrade with their CS team to something special, but but it also impacts downstream activities that are really vital to the business, like forecasting and planning, right? Now, Tony here for everyone who's listening is the CEO and founder of Growblocks, and as I understand it, Growblocks is aimed at uh, solving the the deep pain of um, messy planning, revenue planning, revenue OKRs that happen uh, pretty ubiquitously for SaaS companies. And I imagine it's top of mind for everyone right now as efficiency becomes the name of the game. You've got to be able to articulate the story of your where your revenue is coming from. How you're gonna move it forward, um, and what changes can you make strategically to the business um, to improve? Do mm-hmm. do I am I close to the but, mark there?
0: No, that's that's pretty much it, right? So I think um, I think what we found is there's a lot of planning tooling out there for the finance side. You know your forecast PNL, your balance sheet, your budget. You know, and all of these things that. Very, very useless for the revenue operators. Um, a budget, if you will, it's, it gives you a headcount plan, and gives you your targets, but it doesn't tell you anything in between. And if something changes, if you know Evan leaves and Joe doesn't join quickly enough, you can't go to the budget and change that and have the board approval, you know, to 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 execute that change. So it's pretty useless actually. Uh, and the other side to the coin is, when you're operating on the revenue side, you're you're not you're not faced with a couple of lines of financial changes you you you're faced with you know hundreds of thousands of rows of of data coming in right across your whole funnel defining your whole revenue engine i'm talking impressions traffic leads opportunities close to one customers how they upsell and so forth and um and basically what we're seeing is that there's a there's a new school of um you know revenue operators that are both you know data driven but also scientific in the sense and want to use that logic and that knowledge in order to operate their revenue engines. Um, and Growblocks is basically solving that problem for them, right? There's a, there's a bunch of uh, there's a bunch of data pieces that you need to understand. We don't care where they're coming from, by the way. So I think uh, working together with Syncaria would be probably fantastic for us. We, you know, we don't even care where we need to pull it from. If we pull it from one spot, it's much easier for us. But basically creating that logic throughout your funnel, uh, uh, working throughout the different dimensions and mapping those buyer journeys... You know, you might have an inbound in the U.S. that, uh, you know, goes fast through, uh, sells for a small ACP, ACP uh, ACV, uh, but costs you a lot versus maybe an outbound deal in mayor that is you know maybe cheaper. And, you know, how to arbitrate that, how to relay that back to the budget and, you know, what to do with all of those hundreds of little changes that happen every day. Uh, that tool doesn't exist, um, at least until, until now. So, uh, so if anyone here is interested in that, uh, um, hit me up or go to growbox.com.
1: Yeah, definitely worth a conversation with Tony, if you're listening. If, if this is, sounds anything like what you're facing right now, you know, the big gap, I think, that exists between VC, board, C-suite level, planning on paper, decisioning, uh, projecting, you know, just trying to steer the ship versus <clears throat> versus what's going on in the ground related to data quality, data hygiene, different systems, trade offs in team and system, process optimization, there's a huge gulf there still, right? Yeah. Very little has truly reduced that to a manageable manual relay. And ideally, not manual. But I think most SaaS companies would you disagree? Would you disagree? Or agree with this, Tony? Most SaaS companies are plagued by that gap um, between. Yes, and I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sorry, and I, I think it's um, it's probably driven by two factors. Um, one is, and I think that's changing, you know, this year, at least for this year. Let's see about next year. One is this super crazy ambition in the boardroom. Um, where basically the VC is saying, Hey mate, I bought you for 50 X in order to keep that deal up, you need to behave like such. And then the CEO is like, okay, boss, uh, let's try and figure that out. Um, and then basically needs to kind of punch this through the organization, right? Well, you, you know, you just need to deliver it. If you can't, then maybe I need to find someone else. Right. So this is kind of that typical approach, um, which, um, which usually then doesn't end up happening like that. Um, and then you have the bottom-up approach, which is very much data-driven, logic-driven, very much what you know, we're helping organizations to do, is, um, is then you know, riddled by, uh, first of all, how does that actually work? How do, you actually, how do all of those pieces really fit together? And then the other thing is, well, based on what databases, right? Based, based on, based on uh, what quality uh, you know, that sits below, um, and I think you know I've been talking a lot about the granularity of the operating model, um, and and the granularity depth is usually limited by your data quality, right? You can you can go pretty deep and insightful by just splitting, let's just say, into regions and into channels like inbound, outbound partners. You can you can go pretty far with that. Many very few SaaS companies are doing that actually. Um, but where the real magic lies is when you then go into your different attribution layers. If you go into the different markets, if you go into the th- different teams and reps and so forth, that is that is the granularity level that you want to be able to you know dive into, and you want to have a clear clear connection between the um, you know the small at- atomic level and the boardroom level, right? And kind of achieving that, uh, sure, there needs to be some logic and some sanity happening on the top end of the pyramid. Uh, but there also needs to be some solid base that you can that you can uh, that you can rest some of those assumptions on and those plans on right and and i think this is this is what many organizations struggle with and i think as you know obviously players like Sankari and growblocks and, and as we kind of progress and educate the market and making all of these things quite a lot easier i think that will lead to um, a lot of folks out there operating with much more clarity Uh, much more ability of foresight and seeing actually what's around the corner um, and not needing all of these, um, you know, been there 20, 30 years and I'm I'm used to operate with a printed out, you know, slide deck or something like that. So basically kind of people that, that, you know, try and understand the world through data and through scientific kind of approaches and through the lens that we are advocating for. I think they will win, by the way. And I think that's kind Mm -hmm. of the new wave that we are basically enabling right now uh for for revenue operators to go to market and just um crush it
1: i love that i i wanted to zero in on something you brought up which is that you know a lot of this um the difficulty we're talking about at the c-suite starts with that conversation around performance of the business as a whole right is it keeping up with the multiplier is it keeping up with the projections that we set out a year two years ago as a board Is it fair to say that, you know, given the current climate layoffs are are pretty rampant, there's still plenty of healthy companies hiring, but it seems to me like growth obscures these on the ground problems, whether that's finding, you know, high-performing versus underperforming reps, high-performing versus underperforming channels, high-performing versus underperforming markets and products and SKUs. Um, If you're successfully hitting your targets, you don't need to go fix that, but as we're finding, right, as as uh, the attitude is shifting much more towards efficiency, all of a sudden it's okay. Let's open up the engine and look inside, and I think in most cases, as you point out, it's not a super pretty picture from a systems and data standpoint, and therefore a determining what's going on standpoint. Is that, yes,
0: yeah? I, I think the. You know sometimes the analogy that I'm reaching for is um I don't think it's perfect. I'll still go with it. It's drilling for oil right let's just let's just say you you start you know you start in Texas we're in the u s today so let's start in Texas, you drill for oil you have an oil well and kind of works out great awesome you have that it's pretty cheap actually uh, and then as you um as the the, the barrel of crude price increases. You basically say okay cool let's go to um uh, alaska or something like that let's let's drill there you know the the ground is frozen i don't know it's probably more expensive to get the oil from there i have no clue but at some point you're basically saying okay geez uh, we now need to go deep sea we need to go really far out um and drill there i guess that's the most expensive thing right um, is that efficient doesn't matter because the you know barrel of crude price is so high it kind of works out for you right um And I think that's the same approach that many people do with their go-to-market. They don't actually, you know, at least last year and before, they don't really care about that rep not performing. The question is, did that rep help a little bit with the growth? And if the answer is yes, then, well, great. Then, you know, let's hire more of those, please, right? Um, And I think that changed, right? And, uh, And I think what people now need to do is obviously kind of figure out you know, what can they, what can they expense? How, how expensive can they, can they make the go to market? And maybe it's only taxes in Alaska where they can start drilling for all, you know, maybe, maybe it's not that I'm not sure how long this metaphor is going to survive here, but, but you know, it basically kind of they need to cut down on that. And then also they need to figure out, Hey, wait a minute. Um, is this operation set up in the best way possible? Right. And, and in order to do some of those analytics, in order to figure out what's right and what's wrong, you need to have data that you can trust, right? To a degree. And, you know, I'll give you a really simple and stupid example. And, you know, probably many here have kind of solved this already, but basically you have this MQL definition um, and suddenly, you know, first of all, there are hand in there. So people that request a demo or a trial or whatever, and then there are non handraisers like a white paper or webinar, or I don't know, someone needing to give their email address for a podcast or something like that. But basically people that are kind of interested, but really not ready for sales, right? So... What now happens is you have kind of a blended conversion rate. Um, You don't really actually understand what's going on. So you need to go one level deeper in granularity to split those two cohorts out. And you will see that your conversion rate from those hand raisers is much higher. The efficiency of working through them is much better. Um, And the other stuff actually, you know, costs way too much manual labor to actually achieve that. The thing is, though, um, you know, and actually kind of once you have really successful webinar, you're going to flood the MQL stage. Well, lots of, lots of those non-hand raisers and actually even the efficiency of your uh, hand raisers is going to go down, right? Because all your inbound SDR is going to be busy with the other stuff. So why am I saying all of that? It's because for you to realize that that's the problem in your engine, you need to have the granularity to go there. And once you're there, you need to have and you need to convince all the stakeholders around you that are going to question your data because that's what they're all used to. It's like, well are you really sure? My dashboard says something else. I got this report from sales ops. They say something else. I talked to this inbound SDR. He's pretty happy about this one deal that closed from there. And you basically, you know, need to uh, manage and convince a bunch of stakeholders around you. And if you do this based on, on shaky data, people will, I'm not saying you're going to get fired immediately, but there's going to be a little bit like, um, Hey, you know, next time you fuck up, maybe, maybe we don't, we don't talk about this anymore. Right. And, I think I think making sure not to stand on shaky ground when you when you go into the organization and try and help those correct changes, by the way, and get them pushed through, um, you, you want to avoid you want to avoid putting your name on on that change. And then after that fact, uh, learning that, I don't know, something did screw up in that area and, and suddenly, yes, you know, someone else was wrong about it. Right. And I think this is this is something on the on the efficiency side. And there are like a thousand other examples out there. This is something on the efficiency side that you simply can only unlock if you have the right granularity of your data model, uh, well, if you go to Market Engine and kind of the data surrounding that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think um, uh, the the other alternative then would be to deploy lots of people to help fix all of that stuff. But then again, you get into this issue of, um, wait a minute, I'm paying someone 150,000 uh, dollars to create an efficiency. I'll be sure that that person is going to create 150,000 dollars plus efficiency right because that's not how that's going to be judged and i'm not sure how people are going to end up solving it
1: no these th- those are many excellent points embedded in that i think it's um maybe fair to say that um rev ops, sales ops marketing ops people are some of the most overwhelmed people i've ever met and i think it's because of a lot of the things we're talking about right they um are looking at data quality inefficiencies. They're looking at process inefficiencies, workflow inefficiencies. Um, Maybe if we did it this way, the sales team would be able to respond faster. You know, marketing, all that stuff. Um, And they're also looking at strategic priorities and where can they attach to to prove value. And those things are all intention, right? And they don't have time to go debug and schema and architect good data, right? They don't... um, and then, and then tend, they tend to be warring between, you know, process improvements and, you know, that big project that C-suite or this seems the business would be most benefited by um, or, or grow most quickly from. So I think there's a big case to be made for um, new tooling and new solutions to come in and solve pieces of this puzzle. But let's, let's switch to one of the pieces of that puzzle a little bit, which is companies have been making big investments in data, data scientists, analysts, um, dashboards, planning um, processes. So what was it that that wasn't getting solved that you saw um, made you want to create grow blocks, right? Like you've talked about it a bit, but why didn't all this investment in data teams, data tooling, data stacks, and uh, fancy Excel spreadsheets, um, you know, in planning cadences,
0: how did this not uh, accomplish its objective? Yeah. So I've I've been asking myself the same question, by the way. So I think I think on the one hand side, planning, right, is kind of a fp a finance problem. Usually, it's being pushed pushed off there, um, and and the finance folks go very much top down. It's like, well, we got from the board, we need to do twenty million. And divided by ACV, it's this many new customers and, you know, down to the MQL level, they're going to calculate all of that stuff out. Um, But it's then lacking the operational ability kind of, hey, how do you actually kind of work with that? Um, And then when you kind of try and attach it from or attack it from the opposite side of RevOps, usually what's what's lacking in only the data approach is the logic between all of these different steps, right? How do you actually build your revenue model? How does that actually work, right? Um, And then once you've built it, once you have understood, okay, well, it's a funnel, so this is not a big secret or anything, Um, but actually building this out in terms of the mechanics that happen between each of these different stages, kind of creating a what if, you know, what if I hired this, what if that guy left, What if this was successful? What if we had less funding? What if all of these things happen? Um, Trying and and building that logic in an Excel spreadsheet, really, really difficult. And I can tell you for sure that it is really difficult because we have tried for a year. We've been running this company without an actual product. The product was kind of a paper product in the background on Excel. Uh, Google Spreadsheets, you know, a little bit of an upgrade. I can tell you it's really, really difficult to actually achieve it like this and, you know, do it in the right way. But once you have built it and um, the next problem then is to kind of keep it, keep it updated, keep tracking against it. You know, where, where's the gap? Why is there a gap? Who's responsible for the gap? Uh, what's, what's going to be the uh, revenue impact at the end of the year? If that gap isn't resolved, what if it's resolved in three months from now? What if we, you know, change that out with another project or what if we add a couple of Mahayas over here in this other department um, and you can, you can ask those questions to your, uh, you know, workday planning or your ana plan or your pigment uh, all day long. They're not going to answer that back, right? Um, and then, you know, on the flip side, you know, data teams, I've, I've seen it now. We have 20 people in the product organization, so we're still early on, right? But they've been slaving away at this now for uh, almost a year I can tell you this is not a uh, let's just you know quickly hack it together kind of problem actually. So I'm I'm not surprised that this didn't uh, grow organically. Um, when I built a revenue model back then myself, I used um, Excel and I used two steps, and that was all. So opportunities in close one uh, for that business it worked perfectly. Uh, but we're now seeing many other businesses where it's, it's just too simplistic, right? And you know once once your problem hits opportunity. Uh, it's basically too late to course correct because maybe you only have two week sales cycle, maybe have you know maybe a month sales cycle and so forth, um, and building a proper software around it that also is accessible for your commercial leaders, right? So revenue operations usually very much tuned into Excel, very much understand how that whole thing works. If I ever and I'd like some really great VPO sales, but if I wanted to share that spreadsheet with the VPO sales. I mean it it just wouldn't work out and by the way i wouldn't let them because i would be scared that they go in and break the whole thing right so i wouldn't i wouldn't do it in the first place and then basically what you're left with and sometimes that's enough but what you're left with is only the revops person only the RevOps person kind of seeing this whole thing understanding it and you're basically cutting away all of that go-to-market knowledge that you know honestly sits with the vp of sales sits with the cmo sits with the vp of cs you're basically not getting any of that knowledge in, right? Because it's basically inaccessible, what you built there. Um, and that's, you know, that's why we decided, hey, you know, we need some proper software. It can't just be, it can't just be this Excel, uh, everyone's trying their, their, on their own kind of approach anymore.
1: Yeah. If tools are part of the problem, they have to be part of the solution, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, well said, Tony, thank you. So one one more question for you here, and then we'll wrap up. This has been a really fun time with Tony Holbein, CEO and founder of Growblocks. Um, other than purchasing Growblocks and Syncery, obviously, what can our listeners do today, whether it's a head of RevOps, a CRO, or a CFO, to attach to these planning and strategic insights problems um, at a meaningful, you know, grounds-up, data-driven way?
0: Yeah. I think, I think the realization that needs to sink in and happen for this year is, and I think I said it, you know, earlier on here, um, actually making those efficiencies happen. Uh, that, that is kind of the number one thing. So and then how do you do that? How do you actually create efficiencies? Um, number one, you need to find them, right. And you can go to benchmarking and try and benchmark yourself and, and you will find pretty quickly that there's very little operational benchmarking out there, by the way. And even if you do find it, it's potentially irrelevant for you because the granularity isn't high enough. And even if you do find it, you know you will know that you know, you're red in this area in your engine, you're green in this area, but it doesn't tell you actually how to fix it, right? So this is kind of an external approach. Uh, a more internal approach is um, really understanding how your revenue engine has been performing, then understanding how it should be performing, uh, based on your assumptions, based on a project, based on your plans, and then tracking against it, why it's working or why it's not working. That usually helps like a lot because you basically are benchmarking, so to speak, against your own baseline and your own plan, right? And you can have a conversation with someone that, you know, put that plan into motion in that area and kind of, hey, what's going wrong? Um, and I think then the last layer of of efficiency findings, I think, is around... Um, attaching customer acquisition costs to that revenue engine as well, right? And then you basically know, okay, I'm paying that much for this customer here in the US. I'm paying that much for this customer in APAC uh, through those different channels. Is there, an, is there a possibility for me here to take budget away from the one and put it in the other, right? You're basically kind of keeping your customer acquisition costs flat, but you're basically increasing the revenue you get out of that. That's that's a massive efficiency to execute on, right? And and I think um, uh, those those would be the, you know, everyone is going to ask you to deliver efficiencies and a lot of people say yes, but a lot of people are clueless how to find them or how to kind of get a good idea for them. Those would be my three go-tos. Try external benchmarking, try internal benchmarking against your baseline, against your plan, and then try add uh, to your revenue engine customer acquisition costs to see inefficiencies and, and try and realize those, right? And if you make all of that stuff available to um, your your commercial decision makers, I am very sure that someone there is going to come up with ideas to improve your engine uh, that are efficiency-based and not let's hire another headcount based.
1: Tony, that's excellent. Um, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to The Distributed Truth. Tony Holbein, CEO and founder of Growbox. Um Looking forward to the conversations this is going to spark with RevOps, CRO, and I think even CFO is coming to the table to to help look at these problems more closely and get context right, too. Um, Wonderful, Evan. Um, Thanks for having yeah. me. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Distributed Truth Podcast. Check out our other episodes or visit Syncary.com to learn more about unified customer data. That's S-Y-N-C-A-R-I, Syncary.com. Thank you and have a great day.